you doing? It's such a privilege to be. I love Julian so much, Pastor George. Feels like coming to Durban kind of feels like coming home to family for me because my sister lives here now. If you um, have the thought, please pray for her. She recently converted to being vegan. So we're praying that God would, we're praying that God would bring her back to the truth. So if you could partner with me, that would be wonderful. It's made family Christmas is very difficult when she wants to cook for the rest of us. But like, like Julian was saying, I'm a part of a team called Awakening Europe. I live out in Germany at the moment, but we travel all over Europe and the world um, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and seeing people touched by his love. And just a little bit of backstory. Awakening Europe started about four years ago when an amen, a, a man named Ben Fitzgerald and Todd White were standing on a field in Germany where, where Hitler would commission his armies to go. And while they were standing on that field, they saw a vision in their mind's eye at the same time of thousands of people coming, encountering God and going back, set on fire across Europe. They both see this vision, thousands of people going out, and then you know what happens though, when you get a vision, the hard part is actually doing what God said. So now Ben has this idea, nobody knows who he is, doesn't have a lot of influence, and now he wants to hire a stadium and put on an event in Germany where he has no influence, he lives in America. And we find out the event's gonna cost 1.6 million euros, about 20 million rand. Sounds fun putting on stadium events until you need to pay 20 million rand. So now, but long story short, over 27,000 people came to the first event and thousands encountered Jesus and everybody went out onto the streets and preached the gospel. Yeah. And, and since then we've done Stockholm, Prague and just last weekend we were in Latvia and it was an amazing time again. We had over 100 billboards throughout the city of Latvia, and it literally just had Todd White's face and his dreads, and it says, I was shot at nine times, come and see why I survived. <laughs> That's all. And then there's a website on there, the website's name is The Missing Piece, and there's nothing about Awakening Europe, God, Jesus, or any of the speakers on the website. It just says there's a party in the Friends Arena, you can come for free if you come. We have people literally coming, we have a guy that's a good friend of ours now. He loves Jesus so much. And he's like, bro, I came because I wanted to sleep with a girl and party. But I met Jesus. So I think that's awesome. And we hand out over 40,000 free tickets to the lost to come and meet Jesus. This last event was so cool. We had a, a picture on social media of this guy, like someone's preaching the gospel and handing out a free ticket to him. And he's throwing up the peace sign. And then that night, we were watching video, like the video of the altar call, and the same guy walks past the cameraman and throws up the peace sign. So it's just, it's amazing what God's doing. But I'm so excited to be back in South Africa. I grew up in Neisner. My family still lives there. So I have a special heart for South Africa, and that's what I want to talk about today. But before I do that, during worship, I just felt the Holy Spirit so strongly. And I just want to pray, if you have sickness in this room, I believe God wants to heal you tonight. I believe that God paid for every healing once and for all on the cross. It's already been taken care of. That's such a cool thought. If you need a healing, God already paid for it. That's just a cool revelation. Like it's already taken care of. Your healing was in Jesus' body, which got crucified, so now you just receive it. And God never gave you sickness. Here's a cool thought for you. A lot of people grow up believing God gives sickness. If God gave sickness, that would mean Jesus. So God gives sickness to teach somebody a lesson. That's what people believe. That would mean Jesus is destroying the works of his father by healing the sick. Yeah. 
That would mean the house is divided because God's like, you have sickness to learn a lesson and then Jesus heals them. God's like, what are you doing? I'm not done with them. God doesn't give sickness. He only takes it away. It's who he is. He's a loving father. And you might have experiences of not receiving healing. I understand sometimes it's hard. But I want to encourage you to keep standing on God's truth. He is the healer. And our experiences don't dictate what we believe. What we've been through doesn't dictate what we believe. But who God is dictates what we believe. And his word says, if you lay your hands on the sick, you will recover. We're going to believe that tonight. So if you need any healing in your body, I just want you to stand up. You might have stood up a hundred times before, but just stand. And it's super simple. We aren't going to beg God for 15 minutes. I don't need a keyboard player. It's just going to happen. God's just going to heal right now. Because it's that simple. God gave you the same authority that Jesus has. Which is awesome. So the same authority you read Jesus having, he gave to you in Jesus' name. So you don't have to beg God. God already told you to do it. So you have authority to heal them. And it's, even yesterday, me and Ant, we just grabbing coffee at Prodigy. Somebody say amen for Prodigy. That's an answer to the front row's prayers. I believe that. The Prodigy's there. <laughs> so we're there, and the security guard just opens the door, and it's as simple as me just saying to her, hey, Jesus loves you. Do you need healing for anything? Maybe in your back. Yeah, actually, my back sore. Put my hand on the shoulder, in Jesus' name, be healed. That's all. And I'm like, okay, test it out. Wow, it's actually better. That's how simple healing the sick is. So what you're going to do is if you're around someone standing, just jump up, put your hand on there, ask them, ask them what's wrong. And then you're going to use the authority Jesus has already given you to speak to the pain and command it to leave. Any sickness in their body, you have authority over. Jesus has already paid for every healing that's necessary in this room. Once you find out what it is, just command it to leave. Okay, you can wrap it up. I want, if you just got prayed for, I want you to test out if it's possible in your body and see if you can tell the difference. We believe that God actually wants to heal you. See if you can feel any difference in your body. If you felt a difference in your body, can you wave a hand at me? Any, uh, there's one gentleman, amazing. Anybody else? Amazing. If you did, another one, praise God. If you didn't receive healing, I believe God can still heal you during the service. The Bible says that in Mark 16, that when the disciples went out and preached the word, the Holy Spirit confirmed it with signs and wonders. So sometimes by you just preaching healing, people get healed. That's just biblical. The Holy Spirit confirms what you're preaching. So if you have a Bible or an iPhone, you can turn to Ezekiel 22. As always, Samsung, stay in your pocket. This is a holy place. Or we can pass the offering buckets around. Maybe you can sow and God will give you more. Okay, Ezekiel 22. I believe... Today I want to speak about making a difference in your nation, on your workplace, wherever you call. Because I feel like there's... This house is going to be known for people. I believe this house is going to be known for a place that people come and they get downloads of what God wants to do in their life. 
I saw during worship like as if the, the roof was open and God was just giving downloads. Maybe you're here and you're unsure. Maybe that's for you tonight. But I also believe it's in general that God's going to speak to people about what they're supposed to do with their life or what they're supposed to be called to do or these heavenly downloads, even patents, even ideas, business ideas. But I believe that when people come here, they're going to encounter that. Ezekiel 22 verse 30 says this. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. That I should not destroy it, but I found no one. And I believe right now that as God looks over this nation, as he looks over South Africa, he's looking right now for people who will stand in the gap. He's looking right now for people that will say, God, I'll do it. Because for so long we've believed, oh, it's fine. If I don't do it, somebody else will do it. But the verse here says he found no one. And it goes on that he destroyed that city. I'm not saying that's going to happen. What I am saying is that it's up to us to stand in the gap. Let's pray again. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. We invite you even more. God, I ask that you'd reveal your truth to us tonight. That we would meet you, Jesus. We, are so, we don't want to just speak about you, but we want to encounter your love tonight. God, I ask that you would show us how you see us tonight. That we would encounter you like never before. That every person would leave here marked, changed, and hungry for more of you. Challenge us, God. Challenge us to live out the true gospel, the gospel that you intended. God, show us the Christian life that you intended for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I fly a lot, and one of, one of the things I enjoy doing when I fly, this might sound bad, I enjoy watching first-time people on planes. It, it's like my favorite thing to do. It's, it's like I look for the people in the first time because I kind of enjoy like what happens. The one time this woman came up, and she was super excited. You could see it was her first flight. You can see it's the first flight because they're just like checking the pockets, they're checking the TV screen. And then the person comes by with the drink carts and they're like, ma'am, do you want a drink? She's like, what red wines do you have available tonight? And the hostess was like, ma'am, I think you might be mistaken, but you're actually in economy right now. And I loved it. I was just like, that's awesome. But last night I was on the plane, or yesterday we were flying in, and I saw this first time and I just knew. And he sits down, and for about 15 minutes, remember, I'm bored on the plane. Some of you are like, you should have cut it shorter. For about 15 minutes, I watched him confused because he was plugging his earphones into the wrong earphone jack. <laughs> it sounds terrible, but it was like enjoyable for me. You know, like, you're on the plane for 12 hours. The more entertainment I can get, the better. And she, he's plugging it into the wrong side. And after about 15 minutes, I was like, hey, ma'am, or um, other side. And she's like, oh, okay. And she just put it on the other side. But that story got me thinking about a story in the Bible, which I want to just, I just want to read quickly tonight. And it's just about when we get the wrong idea about something. So if you have your Bible turned to John chapter 6, I was reading this passage on the plane a few days before, and it just wrecked me so much. And I was trying to communicate it to my team. I was like, guys, this is amazing. And it just, they had no idea what I was talking about. Do you ever get so excited that the people around you are like, what are you saying? And I'm like trying to communicate the Greek to them. They're still like just getting more and more confused as I'm going through it. And it's a story in John 6, it's, it's an amazing story because, first of all, how many of you have heard me preach before? Shoot up your hand. Okay, some of you were here last time, just getting a gauge. So, this, this is funny to me. So Jesus in John 6, he multiplies the bread and fish, right? If you've been at church ever, or Sunday school ever, you've heard the story. He multiplies for the 5,000. It's a great story. Then he departs by himself and goes up onto the hill. If you've taken the New Believers class, you know that. That's like the next step. He went and prayed by himself. Get by yourself. You know, people teach that. So he goes up on the hill. His disciples start to cross the lake. Am I right? And some 
some Bible scholars believe that where he was praying on the hill, if you actually go to the city where he was praying from the mountainside, he would actually be able to see the disciples the whole time. So keep that in mind. Now they start to struggle in a storm. And Jesus is just watching them. He's watching his disciples struggle in the storm. That's the first just random point on the side, is that not every storm that you face is a bad thing. In Matthew 6, it's actually pretty crazy. Jesus says, he teaches this amazing message, the best message of all time, the Beatitudes. He teaches it, Matthew 5, 6, 7. At the end, he says, if you do what I'm teaching right now, you'll be like a house built on the rock. And when the storms of life come, you won't be blown over. He actually never promises that the storms stop. But what we tell the world is, come to Jesus, the storms will stop. And then we wonder why they turn away from God when things go wrong. He promised a rock in the middle of the storm. He never said your storms would stop. He did say now that the storms, because no amount of wisdom can stop a storm. But what it can do is you can have peace in the middle of the storm. So what happens is they get caught in the storm. Jesus, Jesus walks out to them. They get afraid. It's amazing. And then the next day they make it to the other side. And this is the part that's funny to me. The people come down on the first side where the multiplication was, and they're like, where's Jesus? Where did he go? There was only one boat here, and it left with the disciples. The other boat's still here. How did Jesus get across to the other side? And they're so hungry to find Jesus. So then, so we'll pick up in verse 22. The following day when the people were standing on the other side of the sea, they saw there was no boat there except the one which the disciples had entered, and Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. But his disciples had gone away alone. Verse 25. So now they cross over in a boat. Verse 25. Think about this. We would, we would see these people as so hungry for more of God. Am I right? Like sometimes I wake up where I live in Germany. If I'm home on a Sunday, which is very rare, and I'm like, God, it's 15 minutes to church. I'm leaving the house too late to get coffee on the way. Do I have to go? You know what I mean? Like we come to, they just crossed a river and... I don't know if you've ever rowed, like after I've rowed a boat for like five minutes, I'm tired. I'm like, I'm done. These guys are so hungry for more of Jesus, they row across and they come to him. And if it was me, I'd be like, wow, this is amazing. Your hunger is so great. Listen, listen to what Jesus says. Verse 25, and when they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And listen to what our loving Jesus said. Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. So he starts to rebuke them now. But do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which comes endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set the seal on you. Now that's confusing when you read it first. Let's read the first sentence. Most assuredly I say to you, seek me, not because you saw, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, talking about miracles. The word for signs there is miracles. So not because you saw the miracles but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Unlike Jesus, the loaves were a sign. No one, no one else thought that? Right? He's like, you don't come to me because of the signs you saw. You come because of the loaves. And they get the whole idea wrong, and Jesus rebukes them. And when I saw the thing on the plane, it actually made me think about this. Because later on he says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So... I feel like so often we come to Jesus because of the loaves that we can get instead of relationship or the love that he has for us. I'm going to explain what I mean. We come for loaves instead of love. They're coming because they got filled and they want more bread. But later on he says to them, let me pull it up. 
Are you guys with me? I know it's a bit like, I'm trying my best to explain it. In verse 26, it says, Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, you don't seek me because of the signs. If you jump down to verse 28, he says, then they said to him, we shall do that we may work, talking about like the labor, the labor of God, that we may labor in the work of God. The second word work there means like the business of God. And Jesus said, this is the business of God that you believe in him who sent us. I think so many times we're coming to Jesus for the loaves that he gave us yesterday, yesterday instead of learning the business, the family business of God, the way that God operates. And this is what I mean. We come to Jesus wanting financial breakthrough, right? And he gives us this amazing miracle, these loaves that come to us, but then we never learn the actual business. We never learn the actual nature of God. So then what happens is we run out of money again and we go back for loaves and he's so merciful that he gives it to us, but he's trying to teach us the actual business of God. And it can look like you're super hungry. They, they crossed the river to get to God. But God's like, you came here for the wrong reason. See, Jesus is trying to teach them that I'm the bread of life and they're too concerned about themselves. So the example of money, for instance, God gives you a great financial breakthrough. And then maybe you've wondered, why do I get money? And then I struggle again. Then God provides again. Maybe he's, maybe he's doing this on purpose to produce perseverance or something. I would want to challenge you. Maybe it's because you've missed the reason why he's providing the reason he's doing that miracle is so that you can learn the family business, the works of God. And then when you have money, you give it away and, and then you won't run out again. Everybody wants money, but no one wants to give it away when they get it. There's the difference. One is coming to God for the loaves. The other one is coming to God to learn the family business that he has, the works of God, the way that the kingdom works. And I feel like sometimes we misunderstand it. You look at, there's that amazing story in the Bible where that, the poorest, where all the disciples are standing around um, in the temple. And then what happens is these people are coming and throwing thousands into the offering basket. And the disciples are probably standing there like, yeah, that's what Jesus is worth. That's amazing. And this little woman comes up and throws her mere two cents in the offering basket. And you can imagine the disciples would be like, that's the king of the universe. You're giving two cents? And they just don't understand it yet. And Jesus says, you know that... She gave more than all of you combined because she gave everything she had. See, that woman understood how it worked. She was shooting what she had. She understood the way that the kingdom works. When these people here in John 6 don't actually understand the lesson that God was trying to give them, he was trying to say, come to me and you'll never hunger again, but they were just coming to him for what they could get from him. So I want to encourage you today, maybe you're here and you've kept running after what you can get from God, but God wants more than that. He wants relationship with you. He wants you to learn the family business as it were. He wants you to learn the way that he operates. Why does he heal the sick? Because he loves you first. It's not about just coming for a healing. He loves to heal you, but why does he do it? Why does he give you the breakthrough? What are you supposed to do when you steward it? Are you coming to God for loaves or for love? Are you coming to God for loaves or for relationship? What you can get from Him? Or how you can become like Him? These people misunderstood it there. But I want to jump over, because that's in John chapter 6, and he uses the idea of bread, which is, which is significant for who He is, for Jesus, the bread of life. But I want to read John chapter 4, which is just two chapters earlier. And in this, in this example, He speaks about living water, which is also very similar. But... The woman here who experiences is completely different to the one we just read about. And what happens in the story is you've probably heard it before, but often people mispreach it a little bit. What happens is in John chapter 6, 
there's a woman who's an outcast in society. Jesus is traveling from Judea to the town of Galilee, and, and on his way, he has to pass through Samaria. And multiple times in the Bible, he's actually told his disciples, don't go into Samaria. In Luke 9, he tries to go in, and nobody actually takes him into their house. But at this point, he's been walking for six hours. It's the hottest time of the day. In Jesus, God of the universe, it says he gets wearied, which is, God got tired. Okay, maybe that's just me that finds that really weird. God got tired and sat down at the well, which shows that he was 100% man and 100% human. And that's really important, and I'll show you why in a few minutes. So Jesus is tired. His 12 disciples, like all teenage boys do, they're like, Jesus, I'm going to get food. You just stay here. So the 12 boys peace out into the city to find themselves some food. And while Jesus is chilling at the well, this woman comes up. It's the only person out. It's the hottest time of the day, 12 o'clock noon. All the women would come and get water in the morning or the evenings when it was cool. But this one woman walks out. And she walks out and she sees Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever been in, in a hotel before, but you can spot the Americans from a mile away. <laughs> Loud, white socks, white shoes. But you can spot them and you just know, American. I'm half American, so I can make fun of it a little bit. But this woman's like, Jew. He just, she just knows he's a Jew. Jesus, you're Jew. And then Jesus starts speaking to her, and she says, like, what do you, at, um, a Jew, have to do with me, a Samaritan woman? And she begins to speak. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink of water. See, at this point, she thinks Jesus has no idea who she, who she is because else he wouldn't be speaking to her, and this is why. We find out later in the story that she's been sleeping with five different men, and she's on her sixth man right now. And a lot of people will say she was a prostitute or different things, but the reality is in the law at that time in Samaria, if you had, if you had cheated on five different men, you would have been stoned and killed. So that shows you that she was cheated on that guys had no regard for her, that she was an outcast in society, she was being used by men, so she had no self-value, she was so afraid of people that she's hiding in the middle of the day, not wanting to be seen by anyone, she cares too much about what people think, she doesn't want to speak to a man, she doesn't even want to be seen, and she rocks up at the well and finally a man is speaking to her, and then in verse 9, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked them and he would have given you living water. So at this point, she still doesn't realize the gift of God, right? Jesus said, if you realized, you would have living water. And it goes on and they talk about some different stuff. And then eventually in verse 15, she says, okay, give me this living water. And this is to me where the love encounter happens. Jesus says, go and call your husband. See, up to this point, she would have been thinking, he has no idea who I am, else he would have never offered me living water. Right? Because if you knew I'd been sleeping with five men, there's no way you would offer me that. And suddenly Jesus is like, go and call your five husbands. She realizes that even though he knew, he still offered her the living water. See, that's the gospel. He doesn't say, go and sort your life out first and then come and get living water. We come to God as we are, and the fact that He wants to offer us this life, this everlasting life, this righteousness and peace as we are is what enables us to actually change. And I believe, I believe in this moment right here, she realizes the free gift that Jesus was talking about earlier on in the chapter. 
And then, he got, and then the conversation there gets kind of awkward. You know, he's like, oh, you have five husbands. She's like, oh, my ancestors used to worship on this mountain. It's like quick subject change. You know I mean? She's like quickly just gets out of the subject. But I want to talk about what happens later on. In verse 28, the woman then left her water pot, went away into the city and said to them, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out in the city and came to him. And in verse 39, it says that many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all things. See, I look at, I look at the nation of South Africa and I don't want to be critical, but it, this is kind of an encouragement. I see so many Christians that never left the well. What I mean by that is this, we encounter God, and this was me included, and it's the best moment of our life. We encounter the, this peace, we encounter this love, this acceptance, and there we are at the well, and it's just so good. But I wonder if we just never actually expect, like realize the free gift. Because when she realizes the free gift, she can't help. Nobody says you are now an evangelist. Go and win Samaria. I wonder if we've sometimes stayed at the well when we were supposed to go. I wonder if we've sometimes stayed at the well and asked Jesus to go into Samaria. I wonder if we've stayed at the well and said, God, can you go and save my neighborhood? Can you go and save my neighbor? Can you save my city? See, Samaria never meets Jesus unless a woman goes in there. He never goes into the city. I think about, what if she didn't go? Jesus doesn't go into the city. I wonder if it, if it was even in Jesus' plans to see the city saved or whether it was her hunger that brought people to him. It doesn't even say he had a choice. And actually, later on, it goes on and some... Some scholars believe when Jesus is standing with his disciples, he says to them, look up the harvest is ripe further on. And some scholars believe that he was literally saying, look up, look at that cloud of dust from people coming from Samaria to meet you. But Jesus never said, go and call people out and save Samaria. He's literally told people before his disciples, don't go into that city. I wonder if, if we've sometimes stayed at the well, if we've encountered God and the reason why I'm so passionate about this is last night, yeah, two nights ago when I was flying in into Durban, I was praying and, and I was, it almost brought me to tears, the thought of all these amazing South African houses and South Africa as a whole is such a godly nation and a lot of people believe in God. And I saw all these wells in the houses and the churches, but I was like, God, why is it not affecting the rest? Why is it that 1.6 million people can go to a well, but I don't hear anything in the newspapers about what happened on the way home? And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying it's great. Gather and pray. But at the same time, the whole point of us going to the well is to leave and bring people back to Jesus. And I want to encourage you, it's not because anybody equipped her. It's not because anybody told her she's an evangelist. Some of us are waiting for a pulpit or an ordination or a calling. All that she did was at some point in the conversation, she realized the free gift and that changed everything. Think about it. She had no training. She was an outcast. Nobody wanted to speak to her. She didn't even want to be seen. She was the least qualified person probably in that whole city. And suddenly she goes from not even wanting to be seen or spoken to by a man to bringing a whole city to meet Jesus. And all that happens is she realizes the free gift. See, when you believe, when you realize the free gift of righteousness, you stop caring what people think about you. There's a reason why Proverbs says the righteous are as bold as lions. There's a reason for that because she realized that I'm right with God. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. 
And I wonder if sometimes we encountered the well, we encountered Jesus, but we never actually realized. Because even though she saw Jesus face to face, she spoke to Jesus, but it's only later on that she realized the free gift. So I wonder if we've seen Jesus, we know about him, but we've never actually experienced the free gift of righteousness. Because that's what changes for her. And I, and I know for me too, some of you have heard my story, but it was, it was very similar. I thought for so long that God made me shy and afraid of people. God made me shy. I would fight for my fear. You know, like the Bible says God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but I'd be like, no, God made me shy. God made me insecure. God made me afraid of people. If he wanted to make, if he wanted me to evangelize, he would have made me more bold. I know none of you have ever said that. It was just me. But that's what I would say. Oh, God, God made me shy. God made me fearful. And then I started seeing people that would heal the sick on the streets, and I got so hungry for it. And I was like, God, what, there's more to Christianity than just attending church? That's awesome. And I realized that I was like, that I was a woman at the well. I'd experienced God, but my life wasn't bringing other people into that experience. And when I realized that I was right with God, regardless of what I've done, see, no one in this room, if you've accepted Jesus, there's no way for you to be more right with God. I never stop preaching that everywhere I go, my main message is you're right with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, Jesus, remember Jesus, like I said, completely human, completely God. We know he was human because it says he was tempted in all ways. The Bible says God cannot be tempted. We know he was 100% human too because he learned obedience. God isn't in heaven learning things. So he's 100% God, 100% man, tempted in every way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin, Jesus, literally became sin on the cross. So it wasn't just Jesus that died, it was sin. God made him sin so that you could become right with God. How did Jesus become sin? Did he have to sin? No. So why do we think that we have to live righteous to become righteous? If you're trying to live righteous, good luck, 613 laws every day. No, like, if you want to try, you can. And it's not like I do my 200 laws and Jesus fulfills the other 14, I mean, four, 413 laws. You know, that's how we think sometimes. God, I bring you my 300 laws. Can you fulfill? I need your help. If you break one, you break all 600. No one's more or less a sinner. No one's more or less righteous. If you've accepted Jesus, you're 100% righteous. You don't come to church to be righteous. You come to church because you are righteous. Coming here tonight doesn't make you more right with God, which sounds super intense, but it's actually freeing. I used to think Christianity was me attending church for two hours on a Sunday. Like, I'll go to church so I can be right with God. And when I realized, and if you live like that, you'll never want to leave the world and share the gospel. Why would you want to? Hey, Jesus loves you so much. Oh, he does? Yes, you can live the rest of your life in shame and condemnation. And you can give up your Sunday morning. When we don't understand the free gift, when, when we don't understand the free gift, evangelism is a burden. If you had a million rand check, would you be like, oh, it's disrespectful to interrupt somebody on a date. I just don't feel right. No. But we say that garbage with evangelism. It's not a burden, evangelism. It's a privilege. You would never have a problem saying, he has a million rand check. Because it's a gift to them. The gift of salvation is amazing. And you get to, with God, partner with it. I know some of you have heard my story, but I want to share the thing that changed for me a lot because most of you haven't. 
When I was never sharing the gospel on the street, I was never doing it. And God put people in my life that began to preach the gospel. And I started to cry out and say, God, I want to share the gospel. I want what they have. And, and I'd say, God, help me, please. Help is a great prayer. Help. The Holy Spirit's called the helper for a reason. And if you want the Holy Spirit in your life, he has a tip for you. Who wants more of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit doesn't operate in your comfort zone. That's why he's called the comforter. Right? Who needs a comforter in their comfort zone? It's like you just don't need one. People are like, I want more of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, get out of your comfort zone. That's where he shows up. So I'm like, God, help me. I need your help. And he did help me, but it challenged me a lot too. One day he asked me this question. There was no shame or condemnation when he asked. I could feel his love. But he said to me, what's more important to you? People's opinions of you or people's eternity? That's what he asked me. And when he asked in that moment, it wasn't like the shame came over me. Or I was like, oh, God doesn't love me. It was just him answering my prayer. And he was saying, the ball's in your court. You can choose. And I would have never said to anyone that people's, people's what they thought about him is more important than their eternity. I would have never said that. But the reality is that's how I was living my life. I was living my every day that what somebody thought about me was more important than where they would spend eternity. And we obviously do evangelism from love. We don't do it from condemnation. But it opened my eyes because after that happened, I would walk in the supermarket and every person I'm walking past, I suddenly have this thought every time, with God I can change their eternity. And I can't shake this thought. You know when God answers a prayer and you're like, God, can you like take it back? I was wrong. Because now, so, now it's like so challenging. You know, I'm like, uh, but then I start realizing that I can change the eternity. All I'm afraid of is what they think about me. I don't even know them. Sometimes it's like they're our best friend, you know. Oh, if they think badly of me, it'll change my life. You'll never see them again. Who cares what they think about you, right? But in our minds, it's a huge deal. And so I start walking to people and saying, hey, Jesus loves you, and just walking away. And I make it, and it was great evangelism. No, it wasn't. But at the same time, I started a journey that day to overcome the fear of man. And, and often we're so afraid of rejection. I'd encourage you, get 10 or 15 good rejections and keep them close to heart. <laughs> then, then you stop caring what people think about you. I remember one night when I first started to preach the gospel, I was walking and it was late at night, like one in the morning, and I'm walking down the street and I'm like, I want to share the gospel with someone. And I see across the road in a gas station, there's a man pumping gas. And I, I did that very Christian thing where I was like, I discern he's dangerous. God, I can see the car he is driving. He is a gangster. And then we call it discernment, right, God? I, I just discern. You must have got it wrong this time, God. I'll keep walking. And God says, speak to that man. And I'm like, okay, God, I'll meet you halfway. So I shout across the road and the gas station, hey, Jesus loves you. And then I'm walking. I'm out of there. And then he shouts, hey, come back here. And I'm like, oh, God. I should, and now I'm quoting scripture, I shall live and not die. I'm like, I'm, I'm bringing back to memory all my prophecies. God, you said I'm going to do this. You said, and I walk up to this man and his first words are, you're the third person there to tell me about Jesus. How can I get born again? And the reason I share that story is to say, you never know what effect your rejection is going to have. 
I wish I could speak to the other two people and tell them that their long argument they probably had was worth it. I didn't have to have an argument, which I'm very happy about. I didn't have to have like a 15-minute message. But their rejection resulted in him being saved. So you never actually know the part that your, that your conversation has in somebody resulting in being saved or meeting Jesus. But so often we walk away from rejection with our heads down and hurt, not knowing that obedience is the end goal, not salvation for you. Success is not somebody getting saved. It's you being obedient to God. If you're obedient, someone gets saved or someone rejects you, it's the same in heaven. You were obedient. Your role is obedience. If you love them, you can't fail. So I want to challenge us today that I think it's time for some of us to leave the well. And I know sometimes it's a hard thing, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. Often what happens is in the first year we meet God, we're so on fire. We want to preach the gospel. And there's a stat that says over 90% of people that are brought to church are brought by someone that's been saved for less than a year. And if you look at the church, you probably know what I'm talking about. We say things like, oh, brother, you'll mature over time. I know you have a lot of fire now, but it's just a youth. You'll mature. And the, that's garbage, number one. What happens is people forget about the free gift. When you forget about the effects of the cross in your life, you lose your passion to tell people about Jesus. I'll, I'll try this side. When you, when you forget about the effects of the cross in your life, you lose your passion to tell people about Jesus. I'll stay on this side. No, I'm <laughs> but it's so true though. Think about it. When you first meet Jesus, you're so overwhelmed with this love and you're so overwhelmed with what's happened that you can't help but tell people. But over time, it just becomes so normal. You forget that you used to wake up hating your life. You forget the addiction you used to live in, the sin you used to live in. You forget the fact that the free gift woke you up. And when you forget about it, you don't want to share the gospel anymore. So I tell people, remember what it was like the first time you woke up and you were right with God. Remember that feeling. Never, never leave that feeling. Never leave. For the rest of your life, you're supposed to be overwhelmed with the idea of the free gift of righteousness. It's never going to become something else. It's always going to be, you could never be right with God by yourself, and now you get to wake up every day right with Him. And it's never going to change. I wake up every morning happy because I'm right with God. It's something I could never get by myself, and I got it for free. And when you remember that evangelism suddenly isn't a burden, you want to leave the world, because you realize the free gift, you want to tell people about Jesus. And I know sometimes it's hard when you've been a Christian for a long time. Just last week in Prague, in Riga, in Latvia, I had a privilege of bringing my dad up during my outreach session where we're preaching. And I got him up to share during our outreach session, because often people look at me and they're like, oh, you're young and all of that stuff. My dad's medium-aged, so it was important. Yeah, he's medium well right now. Glory to glory. Um, so I bring him up on stage, and he's sharing about how he was a missionary for 15 years, and then he was a pastor for 10 years. And during the 10 years, he stopped sharing the gospel on the street. And, and he came to our first event, Awakening Nuremberg in, in Germany, and on the way home, he just started weeping. And he couldn't help but in the first business class lounge to preach the gospel to someone and see somebody healed. And we're sharing that story because there's so many pastors or people that have been a Christian for a long time. It takes a lot of humility to say, you know what, I need to leave the well again. I need to begin to preach the gospel again. Every Christian is called to win souls. It's not an option. 
I don't say that to condemn you, but we believe this lie that only evangelists preach the gospel. When if you actually read Ephesians 4, it says, he gives the office of an evangelist for the equipping of the saints. So the reason is an evangelist in the church is to teach everybody how to evangelize. The reason there's prophets in the church is to prophesy and to teach people how to hear God's voice. So as an evangelist, we aren't all called to be the office of an evangelist, but every Christian is a soul winner. I don't know where like the second option came from. I don't say it to condemn anyone, but I just want to bring back like what Christianity actually is, like what God intended it to be is just to win souls. And it's each one of us. So God is looking for you to stand in the gap for your workplace, for your business, for your school. Only 3% of us are called to a pulpit. If you look at the percentages of the church, 3% of the church is called here. And it's so sad, often in church, we'll, we'll call someone up and say, and I understand this in a school, we'll call someone up and say, hey, we want to celebrate this person, they're going to Bible school. But why don't we call up the person who's going to school to become a surgeon and celebrate them the same way? God is looking for you to stand in the gap. Do you want to see your neighbor saved? Speak to them. You want to see your city saved? Start bringing people to Jesus. God is looking for you guys to stand in the gap. After my dad shares that from the stage, the guy who's translating for us was the Pentecostal bishop of the whole of Latvia. And he's translating and he begins to weep backstage. And he says to us, I want you guys to pray for me because I want to start doing that again. And I understand it takes humility sometimes and it takes a choice. We want to give us a choice tonight to say, you know what, I'm going to make a choice to leave the well. I've realized that I've become a stagnant Christian, as it were, that, that I've just stayed at the well, that I've just been waiting to one day get to heaven. I've been escaping Samaria. I've been escaping the people that put me down. I've never actually gotten over what people think about me. And I've stayed at the well with Jesus where it's safe, and I've never actually gone back out. That woman realizes she's free, she's the free gift of righteousness, and suddenly she's preaching the gospel to the people she was hiding from. There's people in here today that maybe you say, if you're honest with yourself, I've stayed at the well. I've never really gone into Samaria. I've never really gone to Durban, into my workplace. I've been afraid of what people might think about me. I think God wants to encourage you today. He wants to give you an opportunity to leave the well, to leave that behind and go out and, and begin to win people again. And I'm not saying you do this to be loved more by God. You do it because you're already loved by God. And there's people out there that wake up every morning hating their life and all that needs to change is they need to encounter you. Christ in you. Christ in you is the answer. Which is actually exciting because that means Christianity doesn't have to be boring. It's more than just going to church. You can go tomorrow and see miracles on the street. It's so cool. If you want to learn how to heal the sick, he has three points for you. Let me find it. Point number one, pray for the sick. Point number two, pray for the sick. Point number three, pray for the sick. So many people come to me like, oh, I'm so hungry to see people healed on the streets, but I just don't see people healed. I'm like, wow, how many have you prayed for? Oh, at least three people. I'm like, wow, you must be really hungry. Don't go. No, I'm joking. He leaves the 99 for the one. 
Yeah, she's going to heal the sick. I hope. You know, tonight, like I said in the beginning, my goal is to inspire you, but to challenge us too. And I never want to disrespect anyone or condemn anyone, but it's more about a challenging of saying that you're already right with God. God loves you, but he also wants to use you. And sometimes you might have gotten it wrong. We come to God for what we can get from him instead of learning the family business. And a big part of the family business is winning his lost kids back. God wills that none would perish. And he wants to use you to stop people from perishing. The Bible says that God wills none would perish and also says that the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. So if you can be led by his voice, I guarantee you he'll lead you to perishing people. If you can just be led by his voice, he'll lead you to perishing people. None of us can get out of this. It's too late. Each one of us gets to win souls, which is actually exciting. Can we stand?